HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Register to attend PASA's 31st annual conference by January 28th at pasafarming.org conference. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope everyone is plugged in and turned on to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. We talk to influencers and innovators, and sometimes we talk to people who find those influencers and innovators. Today, we are looking at the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, the winners for 2022 in the food and drink category. And I love this episode. It is very close to my heart because Tech Bites episode number one back in January of 2015 was the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for that year. And I was nervous. It was exciting. Sometimes I go back and listen to it and it's 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 a hard listen, but a, a listen that has a lot of love also. Today, the Forbes Under 30 list for 2022 will be Tech Bytes episode 254, which also makes me happy and has a lot of feels to it. So we are really thrilled to be continuing the storyline. And it's interesting to see the arc of the types of people and types of businesses that make it on the list this year versus last year and the year before, and so on and so on. It's a great story, and it is the list that keeps on giving. Today, I'm happy to have with us the two women who are the editors of the list, Chloe Servino from Forbes, along with her colleague, Kristen Stoller, also Forbes. And um, you've come on the show before, and we've talked about this before. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So, Let's kick it off first with talking about how this year's candidates looked, how you made the decisions, trends. What did you see? Chloe, what were some of the things that stood out to you in difference and contrast from this year's list to last year's list? Well, you know, I really appreciate that just like this is the first episode topic for you, um, you know, uh, this is the first time we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs in the, some of the earliest stages of their careers, and it's a learning process for us all. And so I, I really appreciate the you know kind of progression of who has made the list this year and what businesses we are highlighting. Um, it's been around like five years for me now doing this, which is something crazy. And you know, 2020 was a particularly tough year. There was a lot 
of that venture capital money, money flowing into alternative meets. We had a lot of founders there. And this year, we've honestly seen a lot of more even spread. We have, you know, amazing fresh, fresh foods um, highlighted in a lot of different categories. We also have some um, really um, interesting emerging tech like Umami Cart, an online Asian grocery store that launched in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and we have, you know, non-alcoholic wine and craft brewing. Um, we have a really even spread this year, which is like, we have a lot of restaurants this year um, that have come in for, uh, you know, the first time. And it was really tough to make it as a restaurant owner or chef or pastry chef or uh, even, you know, a sommelier in uh, 2020 when we were putting that together. And Kristen, how big was the field in terms of candidates and nominees? Tell us a little bit about how you find people and and where people get nominated from and and what the process is yeah that's a great question um and i am always overwhelmed by the amount of people who are nominated um so typically we call for nominations on our site um, and I think for our list, we usually get somewhere between 400 and 600 um, nominations um, just coming to our site. And that doesn't include um, the people who are just reaching out to Chloe and I directly. Um, we get a lot of contact from under 30 alums or um, people in the industry or analysts or a lot of our own contacts who are, are telling us, hey, you really should look into this person. Um, so from that list of maybe around 400 to 600 um, Chloe and I try and narrow it down to a short list of about, I'd say about um, around 120, 150. Um, and from there, we go to our judges and um, we taste as much as we can. Uh, this year, we were lucky. We were judging in October and um, we had a fully vaccinated, safe judging this year, which we didn't get to have last year. Um, it's so important to do the food in person <laughs> and get to try everything. And it really makes a difference for a lot of candidates. Yeah. It does. And it was and it was great. And this year we had such a it's a great dialogue where we get to try everything and we pitch things and we, you know, watch people like Alexis at Blackforger's TikToks and, and have a really exciting dialogue. So the judging is always really, really fun to do and usually takes a full day. Were there any real surprises, something that just totally came out of left field that you had never seen or heard of before? Because you you two are pretty plugged in at this stage, both being, you know, at a at a news publication, along with being veterans of the list? Uh, you know, I will say, you know, you think that, but you do get surprised every year. Kristen, can you tell us about Sam Norton from Heron Farms? I was just thinking about Sam Chloe. That's amazing that you brought him up. But um, there is this uh, farmer from South Carolina, Sam Norton, and he's basically running the world's first vertical saltwater farm. Um, and he's selling this product that he calls sea beans, which is a plant-based salt alternative. They look kind of like tiny little seaweed or kelp, and you can just eat them and you can order them online. And he's trying to help solve rising sea levels in his hometown and now expanding out into other areas. So that was a huge shock for me. I didn't, I didn't even know what a vertical saltwater farm was until I came across his application. I don't know about you, Chloe. Yeah. And the thing about this is like, it doesn't have as much of an environmental impact and energy use as a lot of other vertical farms that are getting a lot of the big kind of like food tech deals these days. That was what really stood out to me. And aside from just the, the kind of taste, it was so much brinier than I expected. So good. Well, we've done 
vertical farms for years on Tech Bytes in different iterations and different sizes, but we have not had any saltwater farms. So after we finish recording this episode, I may have to um, take a look at that. And it sounds like the perfect uh, Tech Bytes episode for coming up this in the future. Yes. And of course, Alexis probably has some way better wild forage things um, you know, that she can tell us about that are, are natural. Um, but it was just <laughs> such a, you know, a, it was it was just interesting to see um, a 28-year-old going down that path. So she mentions Alexis. One of the winners of the list this year we have joining us today is Alexis Nicole Nelson. You may know her from TikTok. Maybe you're one of her 3 million followers. She is the Black Forager. And you can find her on Instagram and on TikTok at Black Forager. She is also CEO of the newly formed Happy Snacking Don't Die LLC. Alexis, <laughs> thank you for joining us from snowy Cleveland. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, and listen, everyone loves the name of that LLC except my mother. <laughs> she was very pro me taking it more seriously. Uh, but that is not my way, obviously. Well, it, well obviously. It's- Something's working. So, um, Chloe, tell us how you came across Alexis and what put her on the list this year. Well, I mean, I think I'm one of millions upon millions who've been in love with watching her TikTok in some of the darkest days of the pandemic, honestly. Uh, and just seeing such um, exciting, like, and just just having fun with it. Um, you know, I had only been introduced to foraging from a kind of this fine dining world and it always felt very kind of out of touch and hard to reach. And, you know, the best part of Alexis is that she can speak for herself. And, you know, the reason why we wanted her on this list and we were so excited to be able to celebrate her work was because, you know, it it has taken a whirlwind by storm and it's because of how truly special she is and how she's been able to put this work together and give it fresh, a fresh audience and fresh life. Oh, Chloe. (laughs) (laughs) So Alexis, you are a forager and a Mm -hmm. cook, primarily vegan, and you essentially videotape yourself foraging and cooking what you forage. Exactly. When you put it that way, it just seems very uh, simple, like anybody could do it, which I honestly think anybody could. Well, how did you get started first foraging and then putting it all together onto social media? I I mean, if I was on a... farm or in a place where I knew, oh, look, there's a, there's a fruit tree or here are things that I know are absolutely edible and and good to eat. I would go out, I would pick them. Um, I've seen uh, foraging videos and and classes and read articles about people foraging in Central Park and New York City and other places. And there's, you know, famously, I mean, truffle hunting is kind of foraging along Mm -hmm. with other mushrooms and all those types of things. But you know, there's there's always something that makes me a little apprehensive because, I mean, to your LLC, you know, happy snacking, <laughs> don't die. I mean, there's truth to that. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and that's why I wanted that to be the name of the LLC. I always want to be so upfront with the fact that there is a certain degree of risk when you are going and sourcing your own food. There's also a certain degree of risk when you're like growing your own food or when you buy produce from the grocery store and eat it without washing it, as I know many people do. 
So I always just want to lead with that. You all, isn't that the way that it goes? You have to get the rules out of the way first before you go play. And then it's fun. So how did you start foraging? So my mom introduced me to foraging before I even knew that there was a word to associate with it when I was around five years old. In retrospect, I I think my mom was just like, my five-year-old wants to help me in the garden, but five-year-olds are not capable of being helpful with a shovel in their hand. They're just capable of chaos. So she gave me something else to do. And what that something else was was gathering all of the onion grass in our backyard. She pointed it out to me. I had never noticed it before. And it was like a light switch flipping on. And then suddenly I couldn't stop seeing it. I got a little bit older. My parents would send me to overnight camp during the summers as a kid in uh, southwestern Ohio. And I would be running through the woods and learn about different plants from camp counselors. And I just kind of started building a little mental Rolodex of things that I knew I could eat. And it really was just kind of, you know, a fun little party trick, a quippy thing to say on a hike with friends until I graduated from college and was pretty broke, as many of us are when we leave academia for the real world. And it became less of a party trick and more of a a very serious means of sustenance. You should never live off of ramen for months at a time. But if you're adding, say, curly dock leaves that you gathered in your neighborhood to it, at least you're getting some vitamins, some minerals, some fiber, some greens into your diet. And in learning how to incorporate these little one-off things I'd just, you know, been kind of sticking in my mouth since I was a kid into more serious dishes, uh, my love for it really just continued to grow exponentially. And a couple of years ago, my boss at my old job, as I was taking her for a walk through my neighborhood and just, you know, pointing at things every 10 feet, never go on a walk with me if you want to get anywhere, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, you should start posting about this. Uh, She's like, why don't you ever talk about this on your Instagram? And I was afraid of annoying my friends and family, so I made a new one. It was supposed to be, um, as the kids used to say, I don't think they say it anymore, a Finsta. Uh, My face wasn't on it for the first year I was running it. If you were lucky, you'd catch my hand in a still life. But it was just essays and very crisp photography. But then the pandemic happened. We were all stir crazy, all getting onto TikTok. I filmed a one-off video about five weeds you can find in your neighborhood to help you stretch your groceries. And the rest is history. Wow. Do you think that the pandemic really contributed to it in terms of people being at home more, sheltering in place more, spending a lot more time on social media and on the internet, and also being concerned about and looking at their food and what they're eating in a way that was perhaps very different from years prior. Absolutely. It was a bit of a perfect storm. Uh, Not that this pandemic should ever be called perfect (laughs) for anything or for anyone, but it was this confluence of people worried about taking care of themselves and their family mixed with the fact that for about a year of our lives, there was nothing to do except be on your phone 
or be outside. And I was like, ooh, I'll do you one better. How about both? <laughs> Take your phone outside and see what Take you your can phone. find. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Take it outside. Start looking more closely at your surroundings. And I think especially that initial first year of making content, a lot of people were just excited because what had seemed like a fairly boring urban, suburban, or even rural neighborhood to them suddenly seemed full of so much more wonder than there necessarily had been for them previously, which is like always one of my overarching goals is just to ignite people's curiosity about the world around them and to let them know how accessible wild food is. Uh, Chloe perfectly put that for a long time, foraging was synonymous with these high-end restaurants where you're paying an arm and a leg And I don't even think the gatekeeping was happening on purpose. Culturally, that is just how we compartmentalized foraging. And it's very exciting when you find out that something you previously believed was too hard, too scary for you is accessible. Yeah, I think that is a a great uh aha light bulb moment for a lot of people, especially if it's just something that's in their neighborhood. Although, Currently, I am in Chelsea in New York City, and I'm dubious about my success of foraging in my neighborhood, but let's never say never. <laughs> I have for- I foraged in uh, Manhattan many a time this oh my past goodness. year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I, there, I almost have no words for that, although <laughs> I, I would confess that I would be apprehensive. I would be apprehensive That's about fair. foraging and eating something I foraged in Manhattan for so many reasons. Also joining us is Amy Zoe, who is partner and director of operations of Coat Steakhouse. If you're in New York City, you probably know them. Also in Miami, she's also founder of Wine Empowered, which is a 501c3 nonprofit for wine education for women and minorities. Kristen, how did Amy come across your desk and as a contender for the list? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, and Amy, I'm not sure if, if you even know this, and I hope this doesn't sound too stalkery, um, but your name has been brought up to us so much over the past couple of years that Chloe and I have been putting together the list. So we've really been following Amy's career for a while now. Um, and and this year, I mean, looking at not only the great things that she's done at Co and how impressive and what um, a great role model Amy is for not only everyone in the industry, but especially, you know, females like ourselves. Um, we we try and look for people who who we would look up to as well. Um, but we were so impressed by Amy's nonprofit um, that she's the co-founder of. And I think that was a big part of why we wanted to give her this honor this year. And I do not want to steal her thunder. So I will let Amy talk about that. But we thought that was incredibly impressive. Well, it's, certainly, wow. it's certainly impressive to be a part of any restaurant that has not just survived the past few years, but also expanded and done really well and become um, not just, you know, a successful business in its own right, but also very active in the restaurant community and supporting other events and other nonprofits and other groups. So um, it's no small feat in the best of times, and it is almost miraculous in these times. So Amy, thank you for joining us. Um, Tell us about 
Wine Empowered, how that came to be. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Wine Empowered, I really have to give a lot of credit to my two partners and co-founders at Wine Empowered. So Victoria James, who is our director of Beverage and Co., who is also a Forbes under 30 lister from, I believe, the year 2018. Um, you know, she had this idea after she started a series of wine classes at Coat, in which it was basically, we called it um, Coat College. It was a 10-week program. Everyone was invited. And we had dishwashers show up, busters, like everyone from every department front and back of the house. And after the 10 weeks were over, you know, there were a lot of people walked away with just feeling a lot more confident about you know, their position and, you know, their ability to interact with guests. And then some people were even actually promoted out of it. You know, busters who became barbacks, who became bartenders, servers who became sommeliers, someone even became a manager. So, you know, Victoria's thought was, well, you know, why don't we take this and why don't we see if we can open this up to the rest of the industry as a whole? And so immediately I was like, that's a fantastic idea. I want to get involved. Um, Cynthia Chang, was already also involved. She was um, one of our opening sommeliers over at Coat. So with the two of them, you know, we really started to explore this. And unfortunately, our inaugural class in 2020 was interrupted by the pandemic. But what we were able to do was continue these video webinars, you know, very popular before everyone got all zoomed out. A lot of the winemakers who had already committed their time to teaching classes and interacting with our students very graciously gave up their time uh, to teach these webinars instead. But I'm very excited that, you know, you're 2022, there's a lot of new beginnings and um, Wine Empowered will be restarting at some point this year again. Why is it important to have wine education for women and minorities specifically? That is a fantastic question. Um, so when you look at the food and beverage and the restaurant industry as a whole, you will actually find that from a demographics perspective, the majority of workers in restaurants are actually female and or minority background. However, once you start to climb the ladder, you get up to the GM level or the director level, you'll see that that proportion shrinks drastically. Um, and, it, and, and certainly when you look at the subdivisions of different minorities, when you look at you know how many GMs and directors and owners are Asian versus Hispanic versus Black, you start to see these smaller and smaller percentages, I think, you know, all the way down to three to seven percent of the top of the pyramid. Um, so we really wanted to be able to inspire women and minorities to like, A, believe in themselves, right? Because it starts with, you know, seeing other people in these positions that look like you. Now you have this confidence, hey, I can get there too. Now that they have the confidence and now that they are inspired to reach for it, what kind of tools do we need to give them? Well, the reality is wine education is very expensive. You know, whether you're going through uh, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust or the Court of Masters, all of these certification programs, not to mention the time and effort that you have to spend studying and purchasing wines to taste, um, it's no small feat. So we wanted to remove the financial barrier. We wanted to um, give people confidence. And, and so, you know, we thought what better way than to um, open up this group that has traditionally been, you know, very closed off, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, white dudes, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and, and we love our white dudes, but you know we want to make sure that the people at the top, there's just a little bit more spread in diversity. Um, because when you are a leader and you are making decisions about um, who to hire and what kind of wines to buy and what kind of wineries and even winemakers to support, you want to make sure that those decision makers come from a diverse background so that um, you know even our guests are being exposed to all of these different tastes. It's also comes at a time when the wine industry and notably some of the 
um, governing and certification bodies had come under some scrutiny over the past year or two due to some, uh, you know, I don't even know how to qualify it, but <laughs> we'll say scandals. Due to, perhaps, yeah, yeah, scandals, people, I would you say, know, sort of systemic bias, systemic know, bias, yeah. some, um, you know, abuse of power. Um, and certainly, you know, women and minorities tend to bear the brunt of all of those incidences in most of the scandals we read about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so certainly something like Wine Empowered is coming around at a good time, maybe even result of some of those industry feelings where um, learning shouldn't be fraught with so many challenges and and traumas. I, I agree 100%. I and, and I'll say this, you know, during our initial application process, you know, one of the questions that we ask is, you know, why do you want to do this? And I'll tell you, you know, beyond people wanting to further their career, the vast majority of people that applied to the program in 2020 were people that just wanted a community. Community. That's something we hear so frequently um, in so many different ways as a result of or... Um, desire to build adjacent to so many businesses. We did our show last week about NFTs and the dumpling mafia NFT, which is really about a group of friends who were doing something that other people wanted to be a part of, and then a restaurant owner who wanted to create something so that people could be a part of it. So it's it's always so interesting to me, so much entrepreneurship and certainly so much technology um, while it may not be the main thing on the name of the LLC or the top line of the business plan, you know, creating community and bringing together a group of people who share a cause and a, and a vision doesn't seem to be uh, very far behind. We're no, take, and it's, it's a good strategy. We're going to take a quick break and find out who is supporting our Heritage Radio Network community. Did you know that we too are a 501c3 nonprofit? And we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you. If you are not a Heritage Radio Network member, you should run, not walk to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate, become a member today. And while you're doing that, you can listen to this from our current sponsor. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. For 30 years, PASA's conference has served as a springboard for transformative food system change. PASA's 2022 conference features more than 30 virtual and 90 in-person sessions on farming and food systems, covering topics that include building community food webs, keeping seeds to preserve cultural traditions, protecting local watersheds, as well as production methods and business skills for food producers of all levels. Keynote speakers include Soulfire Farms' Via Peniman, author of Farming While Black, Sarah Mock, author of Farm and Other Efforts, and Jessica Gordon-Nemhard, author of Collective Courage, a History of African-American Cooperative Economic Thought and Practice. PASA's virtual pre-conference takes place January 4th through 28th. Register anytime to attend live or get recordings. You can also join PASA in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on February 10th through 12th for its in-person main conference. 
comprehensive COVID safety measures will be in place. Learn more and register at pasafarming.org slash conference. That's P-A-S-A farming.org slash conference. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology, and we talk to innovators and influencers. And today, we are looking at the 2022 class of Forbes 30 Under 30 in the food and drink category. I love this list. Um, editors, food and drink list editors, Chloe Savino and Kristen Stoller, both on staff at Forbes, have come to talk to us about how they find people, pick people. It's a daunting task. You have hundreds and hundreds. You have to narrow it down to 30. Hard. I don't even know how you do that. Um, are there any people on the list? I've, I've noted that you mentioned that Amy Zoe, who is also joining us, she's partner and director of operations at Coat Steakhouse in New York City and Miami, and the founder, one of the founders of Wine Empowered, the wine nonprofit. You mentioned that you had been following, I'm going to say following, not stalking, Amy's <laughs> career for a bit. Um, I also noticed that she's just on the line of the 30 under 30. Does that happen frequently where you have someone come into your view and um, you have people who are about to cross that 30 threshold and you got to get them in before they do? Oh, yes. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> I think Chloe can agree on the heartbreak of so many people. <laughs> there's, there's so many people we want to include and, um, I think joining Amy on this year's list of one of the other people we've been following for a very long time and who we were so glad to have make it this year is David Habib from Yo Mama's Foods. My gosh, um, yes. Like Amy, I think Chloe and I have been following him and his tomato sauces and olive oils that he sells on Amazon and across the country for, I think, the last three or four years. Um, and there's just so many applicants that you're hoping that this will be the year for them. And then it finally is. And you breathe a, a giant sigh of relief. And we have a lot of 29 year olds on the list. There's, I think a good chunk are, are 29. And that usually happens because we also like to see growth over years. We don't like to just give it to someone who's really young and, and, and get an ingenue and going to, uh, do another business tomorrow. Um, we like to see, um, staying power too. And I think that's a progression, um, that's changed a lot, uh, from how this list started to where it is today. So one fine point on the rules and regulations, 29 is definitely under 30. Can you be 30 and be on the list or do you have to be under 30? So 29 is the max. Unfortunately not. And we've had people who both lie and give us wrong birth dates. And then when we're fact checking, <gasps> we'll find out. Lies. Or, you know, yeah, it, it's, and then there are the people that you think are 29 and have a birthday in December and it's already too late for them because they really are going to be 30 this, this this current year. So it really, it happens. The heartbreaks are there. And I will say too, you know, where, where are the ones who we, we bet the candidates were going out trying to find as many diverse candidates as possible, but then we do bring them to our judges. And so while it is like a you know, consensus, we have a discussion about each candidate, um, you know, really the final decisions really do rest with our judges. Alexis, what has it been like being on the list? Do you remember how you found out? Uh, I found out from a, another lister from 2018, I believe, my friend Ziad, uh, texting me in all caps, congratulations, the morning that the list came out. 
I don't think Chloe, I don't think you had even posted about it yet on your, your social media. I still don't know how Ziad knew before I did. <laughs> but I, I just, I was like, oh, what could he possibly, oh, oh my goodness. I can think of the only thing he could possibly be texting me about. There and, are some alumni with Uber fans. <laughs> they, they always look right at the beginning. <laughs> they beat me to it. <laughs> and I... I'm honestly still ex- so surprised, uh, like aghast even. <laughs> One, because I, I'm also in the 29 club, also cutting it very close <laughs> with me turning 30 in May. So I was just like, oh man, like I'm already setting myself up to not be disappointed. And especially when it comes to food, I feel like it's really hard to hit your stride until you get into like your mid-20s late 20s because a lot of times there's like working up through like the ladders of wherever you are employed that has to happen too and a lot of learning that has to go into being a part of the the food beverage service industry uh i was extremely excited because uh, my mom has been in forbes before so it was nice to join my mother uh, among the ranks of serious people of business. <laughs> That's amazing. Your mom's been in Forbes before. So it's like a family thing. Yeah. And uh, my, my parents do not understand social media, nor do they want to. And so I don't really keep them up to date with every single thing that happens with me. But every once in a while, there will be something like this that they will be very excited about because they understand it. <laughs> and so that felt wonderful. It's, it's honestly, it's crazy. And it's a huge honor because everyone else listed this year is such a powerhouse. Uh, I almost am just like, oh gosh, everyone's out here, you know, directly meeting the people whose lives they're impacting hands-on in the ecosystems that they're saving and working with. And I'm screaming at my cell phone in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess if if three million people hear that scream in the woods, then that's real. <laughs> so much more than that. Yeah, yeah. Amy, how has it been to be on the list for you? Do you remember the moment you found out? Definitely, it was it was very surreal. I was sitting on the uh, I was sitting on the tarmac. I was going to Cote Miami, and it was actually the day after my birthday. <laughs> So, um, Alexis, you talk about being at that 29 cutoff. I was like right before expiration date. <laughs> um, so my phone just started blowing up because Simon, um, you know, the proprietor of Coat, he had like started texting and posting about it. And I was about to go on airplane mode. So I wasn't really looking at my phone. All of a sudden I was like, oh, that's weird. My birthday was yesterday. So, oh, my God, did someone die? And I look at my phone and it's like, oh man, it was so surreal. And then I was like kind of processing it on on the whole plane ride over. But I, I'm with Alexis. It has still felt so surreal since because when you go in and you look at all these people that have been recognized, you just feel like you're standing in a room full of giants. Um, but I'm incredibly humbled by it. And I think ever since then, you know, the, the top thing on my mind is, well, now that this is out there, how do I how do I take this opportunity and, and build something truly good out of it? Right. Because I never want to waste a good opportunity um, to, uh, you know, figure out, you know, what other initiatives we can, we can get in place that really kind of uplift the community and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, I, I really empathize with what Alexis is saying about, you know, her parents, because my parents were first generation immigrants to the United States. 
And, you know, when I went into food and beverage, they were very concerned. They were extremely supportive, but very concerned. Uh, it was one of those like, I don't know, man, like we didn't we didn't escape communist China and come to America so you could work in restaurants, lady. <laughs> so, <laughs> when the Forbes piece came out, I could just it's like I could hear their sigh of relief. Oh, my God, she's going to be OK. <laughs> and they have a magazine to frame and put on the wall. Oh, totally. I'm sure it's, uh, you know, I haven't seen my mom since the, um, you know, the, the onset of the pandemic. But I bet if I were to ask her to screenshot the phone her phone background, it would probably be, it would probably be this. That's amazing. (laughs) That's fantastic. Chloe and Kristen, what do you see coming in the future? Do you have any trends that you maybe see building over the last year or two that haven't quite come to fruition? Are there things you're keeping your eye on that are interesting? Is there somebody who's 28 this year who you got your eye on for next year? (laughs) Because you still have some time? Yeah, there are always folks we're keeping our eye on. Um, you know, I, I mean, we both keep, I think, extensive lists of potential uh, suspects, we like to call them at Forbes, um, you know, just throughout the year. And I don't want to, you know, I mean, I think there are some clear ones you can see from some of the emerging cookbooks that are coming out and becoming bestsellers. And I think there are a lot of folks from this past year who were at that cutoff and we're going to see, but I, we don't want to, you know, I don't want to, don't get people too excited yet. We, um, so, you know, we're here for the parents as we've all learned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking that in. That's personally what I'm taking in with to this year. I'm just like, whose parents can I make the most happy? <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Um, emerging trends here. I'm looking forward to more fresh supply chains, a, young, a lot of young folks who are, doing a lot of really important groundwork to build it, be building fresh, local, regionally based uh, supply chains. And I think there are going to be a lot of hopefully exciting ones coming out next year. But, you know, uh, it's it's a new decade. We've been at this for a decade. So who knows what the, look, the list will look like in its 11th year. And I was I was really surprised by the number of um, non-alcoholic alcohol brands we've been seeing. That was a huge trend for us this year. And we we put one on the list, but I mean, just in my neighborhood alone in the past year, I've had two non-alcoholic spirit shops open up. So I feel like that's going to be probably a big thing that's going to continue next year. And thank goodness, as I'm sitting here attempting to do dry January, I'm really looking forward to it, at least just for future dry Januaries. Isn't that interesting? Non-alcoholic spirits, non-alcoholic cocktails, didn't we used to just call them like drinks and juice? I mean, isn't that just, do you want something to drink? It's all just byproducts and sugar anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, crafted beverages, different flavor profiles. Is it just more adult or packaging or a feeling? Because, I mean, people have been drinking non-alcoholic beverages for a long time now. It's really, I feel like, more herbaceous like the stuff that I've been tasting has has been a lot of stuff that you know it's all some herbs that try and replicate like the juniper berries of gin or stuff that's really equivalent to alcohol without actually being alcohol equivalent to alcohol just from the flavor profile yes exactly so this is the um plant-based equivalent in the alcohol world yep because everything is everything is <laughs> everything is plant based. Plant based substitutes for animal things. So now we're going to have a, a slew of non alcoholic 
versions of alcohol things. Is yeah. that essentially where it's at? Apparently. And and I encourage you to come to Brooklyn and check out all the stores here because it's it's really growing. <laughs> it's a fascinating idea just to think about going to a non-alcoholic spirits shop. Those have been yeah. cropping up. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Maybe it's a trend. Maybe we'll do a show. Um, so if you want to check out the list, go to Forbes.com. You can follow them on social media at Forbes. Um, if you want to follow Kristen, she is at Kristen Stoller. If you want to follow Chloe, she is at C. Servino. Chloe, what do you have coming up in the future later this year? My book. I am writing my first book. Simon Schuster's putting it out. It's called Raw Deal, Hidden Corruption, Corporate Greed, and the Fight for the Future of Meat. And it will be out in September um, on pre-sale now. And I'm super excited to share it with the world. Thanks. That's a mouthful for sure. I mean, the meat industry, especially now coming through 2020 and 2021, did you, I mean, just a, I mean, a little bit off topic, but very interesting. How long have you been working on the book project and then did the pandemic, how did the pandemic and what happened in the meat industry over the past couple of years influence that? Yeah, this draws from years and years of my work. Um, the book has been being physically written for two years now. And a lot of my thesis really has just accelerated to the point where it's really exciting because now some of my kind of theoretical kind of crazy concepts aren't so crazy anymore. And there are a lot of actually real life examples of these types of, you know, like producer union contracts coming together and trying to kind of come up against the kind of over consolidation that has happened in the meatpacking industry and the, the kind of power that have, has been consolidated because of that. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. Um, so we will maybe have you back in the fall when that happens. I love it. Thanks. Alexis, you can follow her at Black Forager. She is, as we know, all over social media, um, anywhere you can publish things you do in the woods with your phone. <laughs> Alexis, what do you have coming up this year? Oh, my goodness. So just going to be traveling here, there, and everywhere, hoping that things simmer down in terms of this pandemic. Uh, I I love teaching in person. I was an outdoor educator all through college. So that's honestly what I'm the most passionate about. So I hope to be catching people in person in their own neck of the woods over the course of this year. Um, but if you're in Vancouver at the beginning of April, I'm giving a TED Talk. Come say hi. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. A TED Thank Talk. Thank you so that's much. A, that's a biggie. Huge. <laughs> yep. Amy, if you want to find Amy online, you can find her at Amy Eats Rice on social media, at Wine Empowered, at Cote underscore NYC, or at Cote Miami. You can find them online, CoteNYC.com. That's a lot of a lot of media, a lot of social media footprints. Amy, what is this next year looking like for you, both on the restaurant side and on the wine education side? Wow, there is going to be too much to name. So I have thought about this question and I'm going to narrow it down to two. Highlights, um, you know, highlights. Uh, highlights, exactly. So, you know, at, at Coat, we're always, again, looking for ways to, to give back to the community that has supported us so much over the last few years. And last year, we held an inaugural, well, we hosted, we co-hosted an inaugural um, fundraiser called Taste of Asia. 
And we are bringing it back this year. I am so incredibly excited to share that Taste of Asia will be returning in fall of 2022, and it will be benefiting City Harvest in New York City, who do so much to feed hungry New Yorkers, as well as uh, Apex for Youth, which is another nonprofit um, that creates community programs for underprivileged um, Asian and Pacific Islander youth. So incredible stuff there. Oh, I forgot to mention, obviously, MSPC, Madison Square Park Conservancy, the wonderful uh, park that hosts the fundraiser. And at Wine Empowered, we will be resuming our classes this year, 2022. So applications are going up soon. Definitely visit the website to uh, check out those applications if you're interested in getting some education. So applications and education, what time period should people look out for that? Will it, if they're following at Wine Empowered on social media, is that the easiest way to make sure they don't miss it? I definitely think so. Yes. Follow Wine Empowered on Instagram to get um, all the updates on when those applications open. Okay. So everybody's pretty busy, which is great. It's great to hear. And all the, to all the parents listening, your kids are busy and they're doing great. They're just killing it. They're making <laughs> a lot of stuff happen. They're contributing to the world. They're feeding people. They're, you know, doing nonprofit and good works and all those kinds of things. So it's a, it's a good group. We have a good group here, mom and dad. Everybody's, everybody's shining a light. Um, I cannot wait to send that soundbite to my parents. <laughs> it's, you know, we have a lot of founders on the show, um, founders, entrepreneurs of startups, and some of them are techie and kind of geeky. And, you know, maybe it's AI for a restaurant or something like that. And I will tell you that I've had a number of guests who send the episode to their parents or family. And then I get feedback later that is, thank you so much for having me on. Not only just, you know, was it great to be on the show, but now my parents understand what exactly it is I do. (laughs) (laughs) Because we do a lot of unpacking of like, okay, so an NFT, like, let's talk about what exactly that is. Can you explain it? Just pretend I don't know anything about anything and just explain it to me so we can understand where we're at. And that's a nice service to offer to help explain things to people so that, you know, somebody's mom can be like, wow, that's what you do. That's great. I love it. (laughs) To all the moms out there. I want to thank Chloe Servino and Kristen Stoller from Forbes magazine. Check out the list. It's a great list. Check out the alumni. It's it's a lot of fun and it's a good go-to to get a sense of what's happening in the world with the new things that are coming online. I want to thank Alexis Nicole Nelson. Check her out at Black Forager. Please check in with her and be aware and smart if you're going to pick something in your neighborhood and eat it. Again, she is the CEO of the LLC, Happy Snacking Don't Die. It's funny, (laughs) but it's also real. So be careful out there, people. Emphasis on the don't die. Yes. And Amy Zoe, partner, director of operations at Coat Steakhouse. I love Coat Steakhouse, New York City. I have not had the pleasure of being down at Miami yet, but someday I will be in the sun and go check it out. Um, Follow her at Amy Eats Rice and follow her at Wine Empowered, wine education, nonprofit, women and minorities. We love that. Um, If you want to follow Tech Bytes, we are at Tech Bytes HRN, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. If you want to reach out to us, if you have an idea for a story, a show you loved or an idea, you can email us 
techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. If you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, go to your favorite podcasting platform, subscribe, and while you're there, leave us an amazing five-star review. If you can't live without it and you absolutely want more radio, not just Tech Bytes, on Heritage Radio Network, we have more than 35 live shows a week covering everything from the restaurant industry to farming to food history, all kinds of things. Go to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate and become a member. I think you'll like it. It comes with swag. Be sure you come back and see us next week. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.